Blog Talk Radio. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woohoo! Listen, guess what today is? Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day. <laughs> it's hump day. Hump day. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, uh, we're going to have a very interesting show tonight. We're going to have the Kate Morgan is going to be joining his attack on the line. We'll have I'll bring her on in a couple of minutes. Uh, we're going to talk about Texas politics and what's going on in Texas. Uh, she wanted to kind of uh, give us an update on Weed District Green and a few other items as well. It's been a long time since we've had Kate Morgan on the show, so we will uh, kind of get up and kind of start the conversation by letting her tell us what's been going on with her life before we move into it. Dr. Larry's going to be joining me. Uh, the second half of the show, and then don't forget tonight we got the resistance hour. Dr. Tom and and yeah, let's just say Dr. Larry and Tom. I mean, Dr. Larry and Tom with Carol Lieberman is going to be joining us. She's a forensic psychiatrist, uh, so uh, she'll have some in, uh, interesting inputs as well. So it should be kind of an exciting program here tonight. Uh, so uh, let me. Um, I'm going to bring on Kate Morgan. Kate, how's it going? It's been a long time. Hello? Kate? It has been a long time. How are you, Tom? Oh, doing real good. Yes, real good. So, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, what's going on with your life since the last time, uh, you know, you've been on the show and it's, it's, I mean, I know I follow you on Twitter, but kind of tell us what's going on with your life. Well, a bunch of amazing things. I've had a chance to work with so many amazing groups in Africa working on education, health care, you know, you know, ending the problem of clubfoot syndrome, all in places where people have been ignored for a long time. So we're talking, you know, instead of getting the braces for the clubfoot children, like operations and everything, and we've been able to do a surprising amount despite it being COVID. You know, we, we even worked on some malaria cessation. So I'm really happy for that. I've been working on my doctorate at Regent University. I've got some amazing professors out there. You know, a lot of them are very conservative. Michelle Bachman is actually teaching there with us. She's one of our deans. And, um, also, I've uh, you know, I've got a had so much going on. I was able to go out to a Stars game last night with my friends, you know, Mei Lu, who works on Superstar Art Foundation, which is a worldwide beauty pageant and you know art artist collective. And I will be at an I will be at my own artist residency in Tennessee next month. But um, I think what I really want to talk to to you about today is my. Yeah. Passion, like my my absolute passion project for the United States, which which is electoral reform. Um, you know, if we want to delve into that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's why we came out because I know you wanted to you know begin the show with redistricting. I wanted to kind of again get caught up because it just seems like you've had, like I say. So now, what is your doctorate in region at the region? What is that? What are you working on your doctorate? 
Hold on, I'm trying to. What are we working on? Yeah, what are you, your doctorate, your PhD? What's that in? Oh, my PhD. Okay, my doctorate is in organizational and strategic leadership. Okay. All right, that's it. All right, I, I was just kind of curious because you mentioned it, but I've never did ask you what it was. All right. Ahead, yes, my doctorate is in organi- organizational and strategic leadership, and it's basically all about how to either start or lead companies and lead lead you know coalitions and lead programs. I'm actually the executive director of one Ugandan charity, and then I'm I'm not the education contact at the one in Nigeria, but I am sort of a an all around like I, like I end up in director positions. It's it's really interesting. You know, I went to school, got, got an English rhetoric degree, and thought I was going to be a Texas educator, and it, it just blew up. I ended up ended up being a filmmaker. One of my films actually just got into an Iranian film festival, surprisingly, like to add on okay. to that. It's like my films kind of go places American diplomacy can't. They did, they just get in. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Um, just a real quick. But yeah, yeah so what's, 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 uh, what's really interesting about my end. doctorate in strategic leadership is that um, yeah. – I'm able to really work with other groups and co-align with other groups. So, you know, it feeds back into my charitable work. And, of course, I am working on a couple of startups. I'm not ready to, like, you know, unveil them all super publicly yet. But one of them is, you know, one of them is sort of food, is a food reform one where we're looking at, you know, making more convenience products that have fewer chemicals in them. Because a lot of times you, I was at the Stars game last night and they had yellow five on the popcorn. I'm like, I don't want to eat that. You know, thank you, but no. (laughs) Um, but, um, yeah, so I, uh, I, I've, I'm working with all these groups and I'm working with all these groups internationally and it's great. I'm excited for that. And my teachers are just fantastic. They have the greatest advice and they are extra supportive. In fact, I had a, an academic conference from my undergrad or no, not my master's degree contact me and ask me to present again. And I'm like, you know, oh no, I'm not representing UTA. I'm representing a regent. Can I go do this? And UTA is UT Arlington. So I, I went, you know, I, I went forth with it, and everyone was really pleased with it. It's a, it's a, it was a motherhood conference, and there's a, there's a, a journal article attached. So I'm going to be academically published twice this year. <laughs> well, good. All right. Okay. Let's go ahead and write the, the first issue you want to talk about, because uh, I know we talked about oh. redistricting. So kind of. Just some of your ideas. In Texas politics, we're going through redistricting, right? So we've got we've got yes. the entire Texas House and the entire Texas Senate up in arms, you know, afraid that there's going to be some Republican gerrymandering. Gerrymandering, but what I've found, and what most people are finding, is like the one question we really do have is like, is there an independent coalition, or is there some kind of is there some kind of like oversight to see that make sure that Latinos who are you know, able to vote because they are in both parties are are getting their representation yeah. because that's the major that's one major concern. Uh, Representative Victoria Neve, who is a Democrat, brought it up, and it's one a friend of mine also has. You know, we've we've been working with both parties for a while, but the the second you know the, that's a big issue. So a lot of Democrats are just up in arms, but we're really asking like. We know that minorities are, are voting on both sides. In fact, in Texas, we make sure that parties both do a lot of outreach. We're, we're, you know, and sometimes we're not even saying minority populations. In some cities, they are majority or you know, equal populations. But what we're looking at is, what we're looking at here is like, you know, are they really able to show up to the polls? And what I keep going back to is the old, 
question that came up while I was doing field organizing for both Wendy Davis after her filibuster and Greg Abbott, like totally nonpartisan here, and that is, why is it that when I approach some counties in Texas, right, as a deputy voter registrar, we don't have a, we have the ability to send in your voter registration. You can go to the office and turn one in yourself, and then um, political parties can register someone to go out and like, you know, basically canvass for them. So I've done yeah. all of it. And when I was out canvassing while I was on these gubernatorial campaigns, what I found was that I, you know, I could keep a list of people I had registered and I would check after a certain time to see if they were showing up in the databases and they weren't. You know, we, we maintain a state database. You can look yourself up on it to see where you're supposed to vote and who who's registered. So basically, you know, long story short, some of these are just like disappearing into the other. And when I brought this up in Chicago in a meeting with a whole bunch of lawyers at a at an underground film festival, Chicago Underground Film Festival to be exact, Brian Wendorf's in charge of that, what I found was that um, they had the they they also had a concern, right? And then someone from Virginia who yeah. you know worked with you know was working with studios out in Wilmington, Virginia, you know, it was sort of like at Cuff and in Chicago, just, you know, getting the feel for it to see if they wanted to bring any of that back there was like, yes, me too. So we were all kind of looking at each other. And I know I had looked at tea partiers, like I had looked at a tea, like a tea party county chair and I had talked about it. Um, his name is Joe Palmer. I don't know if he's still in, but he's out there in a, he's out there in a, out there in you know, near Alvarado, Texas. But basically we had all kind of looked at each other and gone, why isn't everything getting processed? So my question is, if this is a multipartisan issue, we really should be looking at some kind of independent coalition or some kind of, you know, some kind of functionary board where a voter who knows they've turned in the two or three, you know, registrations and haven't gotten a response needs to be, or even just one, needs to be able to call and say, can you go look at my, you know, county office and see what they're doing? Like, can someone go hold them accountable? That is that is something I'm really passionate about, and I'm thinking about how how that could how that could materialize. I know after I brought it up in the last redistricting meeting, um, the DA of the DA in Dallas, John Crusad, invited me to one of his one of his uh, one of his monthly I think it's monthly or quarterly get-togethers. So you know they were listening. I was suddenly on a list. Well, hold so on, yeah. Hold I'm really hoping yeah, hold that on, yeah. hold here on, hold on, uh, we hold can on. look at it. Now, I want you to hold on, yeah, hold on a second because we're going to have to Tom Donaldson on the spot with Kay Morgan here on the Bachelor News uh, Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. 
Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Hello, yeah, well, I send you back to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, and don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, the, the net, this particular network, you can listen to this show every day at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the bachelornews.airtime.pro, the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And don't forget, we got some other great shows. Uh, following this show will be the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom on this particular network at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Uh, Central Time, or it's like I say, Iowa, Iowa slash Texas time. So uh, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, the Donaldson Files and other great shows here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. All right, let me uh, okay, let me just go back real quick. Let me make sure I got this straight. Okay. Uh, voter register. So you are registering voters uh, as a right. uh, number. Okay, registering voters. All right. So basically, your concern is once you register somebody to vote, you know, where do you know, you know, how can somebody check to say, hey, did they get the registration? I know in the state of Iowa, you can simply go look it up. Uh, I, you know, I know for example when we did right. I did absentee ballot, well, uh, you could basically vote in Texas. Yep. There are certain offices in Texas and certain offices in Chicago and certain offices in Virginia that just aren't aren't doing it, right? Like one thing mm-hmm. one thing President Barack Obama did do, you know, our former president, I'm I'm happy with the two we've had. They've both made some good decisions. You know, I mean I, I nothing 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 lit on fire and we survived COVID. I'm gonna say I'm happy. I mean certainly I could critique. But um what I would say is the one thing that um, you know, former President Obama or, you know, Mr. Obama did was get a lot more people involved in politics than used to be through his through his organizing models, right? The the Republicans yeah. picked up on it after the Democrats put it out. So um, you know it's a lot more community minded. So like talking to people, there just isn't there like there isn't enough accountability on some offices to make sure things are actually moving correctly in terms of the, those those voter registrations. So. Definitely. Well, I, yeah, definitely. Yeah, let me let me this because obviously you can register and vote yourself, and obviously, you know, political parties can register people as well. Right. Uh, and so I guess the question I'm going to throw back: Are you suggesting that certain political parties are not, or certain political operatives doing this, are not turning in the registration form? Well, as Democrats, we turn them all in. Um, and then as Republicans, we turned them all in, right? Like I, I never worked with no. a field organizer no. that had had a car full of them. I mean, I'm sure there could be one, but that field organizer is fired. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, right, yeah, that field yeah. organizer well, is not I, keeping yeah, his I, job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, that's what, because to me, the only way something like that could you know, not happen where it would not be is exactly that, where let's say an individual doesn't turn in 
the registration. Right. In Texas, it's a felony. So you're really serious about it, okay. right? If you decide to be a yeah. deputy voter registrar, right, and you have, you have to register everyone at a location. You can't decide you're only registering Republicans. Like if someone – you're not really supposed to ask what someone is. You can only mention your candidate, right? So like if I'm standing yeah. in front of the Arlington Highlands Mall, which the Arlington Highlands Mall will let you do, right? There are certain areas that are public and you can do it. Basically, like, you know, hi, would you like to register to vote today? I'm out with the Wendy Davis campaign, right? Yes or no. Not, oh, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat. I'm registering you no matter what. That's that, that's what's going yeah. on. I mean, of course, you know, I'm, if I'm holding a Republican event and I've got the, the deputy register out, I'm obviously only registering Republicans at that event. But, but you know, publicly speaking, if someone approaches you as a deputy registrar, you know, as a as a representative of that county, you're, you're, you're processing everyone, and then trying to convince them to vote for you on your issue, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, right. Because I, I don't know, that, that seemed to me that it would be a major. That should be a major obstacle unless somebody's just simply not turning it in. Because I know, I know in the case of I, for example, uh, you know. Yeah, you know, and uh, when it comes to absentee ballots, that's a good example. You know, I voted absentee last election, and and you can literally go online and check to see if the vote actually counted. You know, they would actually have it. You know, the Secretary of State, you can just go and put your name in and say, yep, you know, uh, you know, you know Tom Donaldson voted. Uh, so, well, I think that's another good area to look at. Certainly we want those to count, yeah. especially what, especially before the recall, yeah. right? The last thing we want is another messy Georgia recall with the Coke line, with the Coca-Cola lines. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that, I mean, that to me, I mean, this is to me, but let me follow up on something that you're talking about, you know, registering to vote. I mean, you brought up, you know, the Barack Obama's organization and, you know, how they got people to register their votes. And obviously uh, you're stating that some of the Republicans in Texas have followed suit with similar modeling. So, Well, it's uh, not just Republicans because, you know, like one of the most obstructive offices in the time I was talking to people, I was a journalist for CW33 and I was talking to another CW33 journalist and we were trying to figure out if and how we were going to break a story about Dallas County having like all of these like, you know, expired voter registrations for judges and like people living on the rich side of town. <laughs> like it, it, it could happen to anyone. <laughs> well, you, you say, okay, voter registration. Are you saying that these are people who had moved and were still on the voters list? Is that what you're referring to? Well, no, they didn't move. Like this is literally like a judge. This is like a judge who has been like participant in politics, politics and somebody in the office just like expired a bunch of registrations at exactly the right time where that person wouldn't be able to vote for the next cycle. You get what I'm saying? Like the registrations are expired. Yeah. Like I think I'm registered and all of a sudden like what? My registration is in question. Well, like my that, registration is in question. Like that 17 days before the election, there's not enough processing time. Yeah. yeah Cause I know, I, let me say, I know after every election, you know, you know, you know there is the, what we call a, I won't say purge, but basically you know, updating the election, you'll be updating the voter rolls. So if you have somebody who hasn't voted in a while, or because right. I know most states will have laws say to the fact that, hey, if you have voted expert over the next life cycle, uh, you know, you're going to be removed from the list. Or if you move, you're going to be removed from the list because you have to right. well, updated voter yep. rolls. I think, I think that moving, I think that, like, you know, return mail is a reasonable reason to take someone off a list. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. 
It sounds like me what you're talking about is outright corruption. <laughs> when you delete them before right. the election. <laughs> exactly. Well, like return mail or um return mail or I mean inactivity. I think in Texas we just like have renewal at certain times. Like somebody moved the date around on like a referendum somewhere. It wasn't even like public enough. That's what the outrage was. <laughs> like what? You moved that referendum? you did what? <laughs> Like, but that was just, that was crazy. But, um, yeah, I mean, moving is, is obviously like, you know, you've moved or you, you haven't voted, you haven't voted in like, you haven't voted in 16 months and you haven't sent us back the card saying you're considering it. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, this is all part of you, but let me go back to the organization side of the equation. Because obviously, I mean, you've worked in different political parties. What I've known you, you seem to be all over the map politically. (laughs) <laughs> so I guess my question would be, when you observe different groups and different organizations, how you know what are you seeing as far as voter or organizing voter registration? Uh, you know, what have you seen in the state of Texas uh, on those lines? Oh, okay. Well, you know, if you're looking for college-age voters, you might do all three on the same weekend with college volunteers from like different places that want to politically angle, you know, the experience into working for a campaign or, you know, being able to go to some events where they can talk to a senator or what have you. And basically what you or, you know, whoever, whoever the, uh, whoever the official they might want to talk to would be. And what, what you would do, um, you would have, you would definitely like organize the, the school political clubs. You might have a, you might have a table outside in front of the college. You might go to the local high schools as well, but the local high schools are really covered by the teachers. Teachers are pretty well trained to register everyone to vote at a certain, like at a, at a certain grade, like junior and senior year. Like, are you old enough? Let's go. Um, you know, do you want to be a poll worker? You're old enough. Like, if you're in high school, you're old enough to be a poll worker. So let's go. You can you can be a poll worker before you're mm-hmm. able to vote. So like, they, they a lot of high schools already have that process down, especially if they're Democrat. What um what uh what you know what we would do after like um, in the college town afterward is that we would also register voters. You know, we might, we might go to the local college bar, right? And we wouldn't necessarily like do high pressure voter registration. Then we usually hand out the mail-ins so that when somebody's somebody sobers up in the morning, they're like, Oh yeah, I talked to that girl about voting. I should turn that in. I mean, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we do take it like, no, I want to do it right now. Okay. But like, you know, we're not trying to get someone eight drinks in to voter, you know, voter register for our register and like, you know, and talk but like bars are a place that Democrats have done it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, shopping, shopping centers. Then you, then you sometimes have like the larger events with like a speaker, right? Like we're having Kamala Harris out and she's going to talk about her presidential run. Okay. If you're not registered to vote, we've got a table in the back, right? For sure. Yeah. Right. Well, so it's, it's just making me, sure me, it's available yeah, everywhere. Let me, now, okay, let me ask you this question. Uh, is that when you look at, let's say, okay, right now in Texas, if you step back and say which political group or which political party seems to be right now the most active in registering people to vote, what would you say? You know, based on your observation, what would you say? In Texas, they're even now because Greg Abbott's campaigns adopted everything Wendy Davis's had done after Barack Obama. Wendy Davis had an edge for a bit because she was using the Obama model, but once once Wendy didn't didn't win office and then went downstate and you know got a new district over closer to Austin, she's out in Hill Country right now. But once Wendy did that, um, for the most part, you know, te- Texas politics tend to be very cooperative except for like five issues. <laughs> anyway, um, so anyway. Um, 
long story short on, on all that, like they tend to be about even now because we all know the same methodology. And, um, yeah. you know, right now, mm-hmm. I mean, like I would say that Republican voters, the um, Republican voters on a state level seem to be most engaged when I'm looking at, when I'm looking at, okay. um, when I'm looking at like Greg Abbott's campaigning and everything else. And like on the city level where I am in Dallas, it's definitely Democrats. I've got Republicans, you know, I can talk to Judy over in Lake Highlands, Republicans. Anytime I like. In fact, I've got her on my Alignable account, you know, Alignable.com. It's got some, you can, you can line up all your business contacts and, you know, reach out to people. But basically, um, but basically I've got, I've got her on there and I should reach out to her, but you know, we've got, we've got, we've got our Republican groups and we've gone out and we've even done like Lake Highlands, Lake Highlands Republicans and Republicans organized Latino voter outreach at, you know, the, at the Texas State Fairgrounds at Fair Park, you know, we, we did that. We, we do that annually. Like our Latinos, you know, our Latinos with IDs register the vote, whether, you know, Republicans are putting it on, whichever way you go, because there are a lot of conservative Latinos, so you don't want to leave them out. And, uh, you know, everyone's definitely yeah. doing some voter outreach. Huh. I was just kind of curious because it was like, uh, I want you to hold that up because I do want to get into the redistricting debates as well. After this, so this is Tom Balsadonson files with uh, Kate Morgan. She's updating us on what's you know, what she's doing on the voter registration and also uh, some tips on re- what's going on in the redistricting. This is Tom Donaldson here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me. I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in the six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back here in a second, but I just want to let you know that this particular segment is brought to you by Napa Know How. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa Know How, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa Know How. Napa Know How. This is Tom Donson here, back with Kate Morgan here on the Donson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, get your flu shot. This is your public. This is yet another public service announcement. It's that time of the year. Uh, get your flu shots. All that. Keep yourself protected the best you can possibly believe with the upcoming respiratory season. Uh, also, we do have uh, this show is on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, you can go to bachelornews.airtime.pro. My show, uh, this show is being is on every day between 11 and 12 Eastern Time, 10 to 11 Central Time, 
uh, 4 to 5 Eastern Time, 3 to 4 Central Time, every day on the bastionnews.airtime.pro. And don't forget, we do have some other great programming as well. Let me just... Uh, yeah, let me just give you a couple of good shows that we got right now, just to say. For example, You and the Law follows our show every Tuesday with Chief Kim Keith Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green, 60 years of law enforcement experiment. You and the Law is a show that has open and honest conversation about law enforcement and the relationship with the black and brown communities. You can listen again every 7, 8 p.m. on Block Talk Radio that follows the Donaldson Tuesday edition. And we have the Resistance Hour Dr. Larry. And time where we give you the, the politics from a conservative perspective in the post-Trump era. Listen to us every every Wednesday, seven to eight Eastern Standard Time, on the Bachelor News, uh, on the uh, Block Talk Radio. And don't forget, we're also going to be on the Bachelor News uh, Airtime Pro. Just look up the schedule at any time. Uh, all right, uh, we're going to bring back uh, Ms. Kate Morgan, who's the Who's talking to us, to us about uh, redistricting? I'm having to talk about what's the fight over redistricting? What's that like? What are you hearing? Because you know, obviously this is the most partisan thing that any legislation does. Determine who's going to. Okay. You know, what's there the will be some appended legislation. <laughs> yes, there will be some appended. There will be some appended amendments, and I'm I'm still looking at those. But for the most part, like Democrats are like really up in arms and then resigning to what's happening and then like really trying to edit the legislation and Republicans are on top on this one. That one I know for a fact, but I'm not as concerned about that because I don't know, in Texas, you know, you know that your blue dots are representative and you know, you know that the purple, the, 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 the fabled purple color out in the country is always, is always far more complicated than it seems and Republicans do absorb a lot of it. Like they're, they're not opposed to it. It's, most of the time, except for when it comes to sometimes energy policies. That's the one place it can get a little tricky because, you know, the oil money is good. But, yes, um, and that, that's the same in Democrats. The oil money is good over there. I need to check and I really need to scour those and see if I can find anything, you know, regarding energy because I work with groups who are definitely working on when we can, when we can align for the greener, you know, the transition to greener things without completely disrupting the the oil sector because, you know, you don't want, you don't want all the infrastructure to suddenly halt one day. You want it to gradually improve. <laughs> Well, I can say, because oil, that's, you know, that's like I say, the state business, is it not? <laughs> oil and natural gas? Well, you know, I mean, oil and natural gas are well established, and natural gas is a lot cleaner. And, you know, it's funny, I was talking yeah. with my friend Larry last year, Energy for America. He, he's really great. I, I, uh, he asked me to drive him for, asked me to drive him for something, and we went out to lunch together, and you know, he he was the kind of old oil guy who really, sorry for it to be on a diversion, but he was the kind of old oil guy who, like, really was just like, no, I mean, I know I know how this infrastructure is working, and I know we have to shut down this sector and then bring up another sector. Like, he, he almost saw, like, he saw what it would take to make it all green without having, like, that whole Texas freeze calamity type thing. Now, Greg Abbott certainly has been covering for that. He's, he's gotten all sorts of transformers and all sorts of new structures out in all of the worst places to make sure he does not go through that again. He was embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he, is, he is, like, that, really yeah. working on that. And that's what I like about Greg. Um, but back to, de- back to de- redistricting, right? So yeah. the way, the way I, what I hear about this, like the most simple way to put it, is that the lines are going back to what they were before the Obama election. 
if that so makes sense. Basically, any a DOP. So basically, they're reverting back to increased power for the GOP, increased seating, which is what is typically right, I mean, done in these cases. Yes and no. Yeah. If they were reverting to that, it means we might get some blue Gulf Coast back, which is a very strong sector, which means Democrats might still have a chance, if that makes any sense. Like when we, when yeah. they, when they, um, when they, when they are, uh, when I say we, I've worked for both parties and I still do. So it, it depends, honestly. Yeah. Like who who has who has me out? Who has me out? Um, who has me out as the election judge that year, right? Because that's the one. If I'm a Democrat election judge, I'm a Democrat. So anyway, but um, if I'm a, if, you know, because I can, I can I can definitely get I can definitely visit both conventions, and I can only vote in the one I'm an election judge for. If that makes sense. So basically, um, yeah. so basically, long story short, um, on all that. Like, there's an entire Gulf Coast, like, you know, Houston to, like, Beaumont, everything old, blue working class sector that might come back. But we don't know how much of it will still vote red because of how many working class people exodus with Trump, right? Trump was a big magnet for the working class. So what you're saying is the fact how many of those will stick with any future Republican who's not named Trump. Right. I mean, like, Trump, Trump won because he attracted the working class in like every single, every single like, you know, ethnicity basically. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone was upset. Like, what, you know, why wouldn't anyone vote for you? Why are people not voting female? Why are people not voting for Hillary's, Hillary's an elite? And the working class are not connecting with her because I've seen this working class in Louisiana vote for female politicians. I've seen the same exact demographic go for a female politician, go for a white female educated politician. That's not the problem. The problem is that she is not at all relating to somebody who worked on an oil rig for all their lives. She's not at all yeah. relating to somebody who, you know, somebody who, who worked in machinery. So that was Hillary's biggest fault. And, you know, Trump, even though he's an elite, knew how to pick it up. And he knew how to pick it up because yeah. I honestly think, like, his, his rises and falls in business – taught him the humility when i look at someone like i mean like there are things i don't like about trump i don't like i don't like what his father did with hud money right that was definitely inequitable sure but i do yeah but i do i do like the fact that it's almost like with every life situation that sort of knocked him a bit like he learned how to have the humility to relate to more people he's like i'm gonna need more people in my corner so i had better not cut this out and yeah. I think that's really what Trump's strength was in attracting voters. Now, whether or not he'd be able to do it again, I don't know if it was just a magic moment, but, like, whether or not those counties, yeah. like, go blue like they used to because, you know, that blue was a strong working class type thing. Or if, because Obama brought yeah. a certain amount, Obama and Hillary both, or, you know, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama both brought a certain amount of elitism to the Democratic Party it didn't used to have, you know, out of their out of their um, yeah. you know, connections in Arkansas and Boston, respectively, and in Chicago as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes, how that, how that old blue goes, if it's some kind of purple now, right? Yeah, I, that's what you're, what you're saying. In fact, is like is, you know, how the shakeout of the different coalition would continue or not continue. It's a, a very interesting point. So now, like I said, I know. Now, the thing I would cut, let me answer this question because you mentioned the idea of, you know, you know, Hispanics uh, being more, you know, a large number of conservative uh, Hispanics. Let me so in Texas. Do you? Let me put this. You've lived in Illinois, correct? You, you're, you're from Illinois, yeah. right? 
I grew oh, up there for the first Chicago. 20 years. Now I've been in Texas for 20 years. It's about even. Okay, about even, yeah. Because I know that, like I say, people may not realize it, but Chicago's in the top five populated cities by his, you know, Hispanic populated cities. It's right. Yeah. I'm not my own complaint about that, but. Yeah. But, but here's my question I'm going to throw back to you. You know, when you look at, let's say, comparing Texas Hispanics to maybe others that you, would you say that on the average that the, you know, Texas Hispanics might be more, let's say, more conservative, let's say, Hispanics might be in California or elsewhere? What's your thought? Absolutely, because his, generally speaking, Hispanic or Latino families here, you know, either, you know, as a group or separate, like I identify as Hispanic as the older term, I identify as Latino as this newer term, generally speak, or Hispanic is like, I actually identify probably more, you know, less Spanish even, but like, like yeah. generally speaking, um, generally speaking as, as a term, um, there have been ranching families who have been out here for a long time. There, there have been strong sectors of education. Lyndon Baines Johnson, you know, was one of the first, to actually make English education standard among Hispanic Latino families in Texas because it was a matter of equity and everyone liked it, right? The um, Spanish-American War, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, the Mexican Border War, is basically the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo stipulates that, the, that there is a right yeah. to a Spanish-language education in Texas. You, you have a right to one. So that said, teaching, you know, teaching English was not a huge issue back in LBJ's day. It was like, you're going to get something. You can actually, like, work in the business sector. We're tired of the segregation. Yes, yes, president. We're go- yes, governor. Yes, president. We're going to do it. So basically there is, like, an entirely, there's, like, an entirely different sector of Latinos here than there would be in, in um, Chicago. But I wouldn't necessarily – write off Latinos in Chicago as they must be Democrat voters, except for, of course, the border issue. Because, you know, the, the, the neighborhoods Latinos live in, generally speaking in Chicago, you keep looking at sure. the EPA reports, and Obama's, Obama has said many times, we're going to clean them up, we're going to clean them up. But there's only so much cleanup you can do on a total toxic waste dump. When you look at, like, Pilsen, and you look at East Chicago, and you look at all these places just absolutely polluted by factories, you know, I worry, like, one of my, one of my biggest complaints about the whole border situation is, like, I don't really know that I want a whole bunch of heroin in Texas to have a whole bunch of lead poisoning victims in the, in the Midwest. That's that's always my biggest gripe because of course if we can like you know if we can get someone paperwork to send them to a good factory or a good farm and they can make enough to go have a clean house somewhere right one where they can have a garden and plants I don't mind that I have a, a Latino or a Hispanic neighbor like that is not my gripe I am not a racist I am concerned because if we if we just kept the border wide open and there are a lot of Native American groups who agree with me, honestly, who, who are part of this border conflict. That's like their land, their territory is like overlap on this border. But basically, do well, I want a bunch yeah, of black yeah. stars heroin trafficked across the border? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me ask you a quick question there. How do, let's say, those uh, Hispanics living in Texas feel about the influx of the, you know, the, the recent influx? So how do they view that? And I want you to think about that. You know, there, there, there are two camps. 
some people are upset yeah. that we're they, not developing Latin America, right? Like, why, yeah. why can't yeah. you be at home getting enough money to develop your country? And then there's another camp, right? And that camp is, I yeah. welcome a refugee because I know that you're a refugee and it's really tough in Mexico right now, but I really wish we could calm it down in Mexico. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So basically, you got two camps there. Uh, I'm going to have to hold on to that real fast. There's Tom Downs the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network here uh, on there. And we'll be right back with Kate Morgan. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome back to Donaldson Pals. Here's Tom Donaldson on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Again, you can listen to this show anytime at bachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, times 11 a.m., uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every day on that network. And we will be, in fact, we'll be joined real quickly here by uh, my co-host on the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry, Dr. Larry himself. Uh, I do have one quick question left for Kate and Katie. If you want to stick around uh, for the rest of the uh, you know, rest of the time, uh, feel free. We'll invite you as part of the, the conversation Larry and I are going to have. But my quick question I'm going to ask Dave, you: If I'm ready, you I'm happy. You, I'll, I'll listen. Thank you. Yeah. Now here's my question: I want to ask you real because this was something I had a chance years ago to talk to a you know a Hispanic oil guy. I mean that's right. And we got into a conversation, and he, he made this statement. He said, Tom, you got to understand one thing. He said, I didn't cross the border. The border crossed me. And it's something, you know, maybe you can kind of comment a little bit, too, is that, you know, you have the most recent immigrants, but you also have a, uh, quite a few Hispanics who have basically been part of Texas long before the United States. Uh, took over Texas, that it was in fact part of both Spain and then later Mexico. And you see the same thing in Arizona, you see the same thing in New Mexico, uh, and I would suspect parts of Southern California as well, where literally these are long-term residents or families that have been here for centuries as opposed to just decades. And 
I don't know how often you get to con you know, I thought it was an interesting conversation. So I didn't know whether or not, you know, that's something you run into and, and if you did, what would be their attitude versus let's say the newer immigrants? Is there a differential between the two? Was that a question hey. for me or a question for? Yeah, that's a question for you. That's, a, that, that's the last question. Oh, I yes, I would say there's a huge, up. huge, there's a huge, huge difference in this, um, of course, you know. And there's a, there's a difference in someone who's been, for a, fam, for a family who's, who's been involved with the state for, like, you know, ten generations as opposed to three, right? <laughs> like, that, that's yeah. for anything in the U.S., but I would say that there's a huge difference between you know the, the the families all along the border and also also you know in the cities and other places in the U.S. where you know part indigenous or you know still very much identifying as indigenous persons because Hispanics Latinos and of course Native Americans all you know are all descended from the same blood you know bloodlines but it's it's different when you when someone from Guatemala comes up and establishes for for four generations, yeah. not that we're discriminating against that person. We just want that person to come into proper channels and, you know, n- not be part of a trafficking scheme, right? <laughs> if they're going to bring value, yeah. of course, well, let me, course yeah, American, okay. right? Well, let me ask, uh, I, I, one, this will be the last uh, Dr. Larry, I know you're there, so you can say hi now. Dr. Larry? Well, hi there, folks. <laughs> hi. Hi, Dr. Larry. <laughs> hi. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the last, Okay. You know, you mentioned the difference in Guatemala because a lot of the new immigrants that are coming across the border today are not necessarily from Mexico but from Central America. And now we've got a list of Haitians that are coming in as well. Uh, Do you see any significant – between the different Hispanic groups, do you see kind of a conflict there? Maybe those like from Mexico, those who have been there a while – or even just the fact that, let's say, you have a group of Mexican, Guatemalans, Honduras, even, let's say, Haitians. Is there any kind of conflict among these different groups? In Dallas, we're very welcoming, except, you know, in Dallas and Houston, we're very welcoming, except for, you know, do you want to, do you want to traffic? We don't, like, Chicago has a huge trafficking problem. We don't want to, we don't, we don't want to match it. We're very serious about, we're very serious about, you know, law enforcement actually, Actually, working on that. In fact, uh, you know, I've talked to the talked to the uh, prosecution DA and 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 uh, yeah. and assistant and everything. So, like, we we have a very serious culture of ending that in Dallas. Houston, you know, Greg Abbott ended a Houston cantina. So it's it's you know, we generally tend to welcome respectable people, right? And I think that's always been well, American say, value. Yeah. We welcome respectable people, but when it comes to, but you know, you don't want to get, you don't want to go so far with that that you leave a, a crisis like we have now. We've welcomed so many respectable people into the U.S. that there are countries that are just unstable, you know. So that that is that is like the one so, that is so like the one drawback on that. But when it comes to like these so. these these newer influxes. If you're if you're a family that literally just needs work, I mean, like Almas Musquatala, who you know works with the United Nations and has worked with worked with church groups and religious groups and all other sorts of groups out of Dallas's Thanksgiving Square. You know she's she she came, you know she's she's Arab, but she's worked with like so many different groups. Like you know she's very you know, she she can work with Christians and Jews just fine. She's moderate. She's great. But she's worked with people for thirty years here, and. Um, 
you know, she's, she's been, you know, she's been organizing a lot here where we have coalitions that are ready to welcome refugees, including those coming out of Afghanistan. But, you know, the, the question, the question with it is, is like, you know, of course we want to welcome people, but we also want to be cautious because how torn up do we want Afghanistan to be without any, without any assistance? Like how, 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 like how, how given over do you want it to be? And, you know, that, that's, that's the whole kind of worms. You don't want to be too militarized and you don't want to be too, you don't want to be too, uh, you know, you don't want to destabilize entire regions of the world, but, you know, we're generally tend to be welcoming in the cities in Texas. Now, on the border towns and other, like, border towns are such an onslaught of people just trying to run through the worst stuff, right? They're, they're running through drugs, they're running through prostitutes, they're running through chains of workers who are going to be abused in, you know, in an Ohio egg farm, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. So, like, but those sorts of things really... You know, those sorts of things sometimes resonate, but for the most part, Texans generally want to care about people while additionally, you know, trying to trying to really work on those problems. Like how do we how do we take that three generation Guatemalan or Honduran or Central American or even South American family? How do we take that family, right, that was driven out by industry or driven out by a dictator or driven out by some cataclysmic change? How do we take that family and get them the education? And like the startup money and everything else, you know, and the ability to like, you know, either lay electric and build and, you know, and, but, you know, we do have a lot of those daily operating jobs. You do know how to build a house and you know how to wire it. But basically, how do you get enough capital and how do you get enough knowledge into the hands of some of these, you know, families that still have ties to the older countries in order to create those bonds that, you know, you and I come from those Euro Celts, you know, we understand that the connection with the old country is what built it, built it back, right? Like, I identify as Irish, and this pan-Irish solidarity made Ireland better. Yeah, I'm going to stop you right there real quick, because I I understand, like, so basically what you're really talking about is assimilation, you know, assimilating people into the United States, into our culture. And I think I understand, you know, where you're kind of coming from. Okay, Dr. Larry, how's it going? Uh, what I'm going to do, and I'm going to change the subject here real quick. I want to talk. Uh, we got Casey. She's going to stay out for a little bit longer and comment some of the things. But I got this news story, a couple of news stories, and I wanted to, you know, bounce this off you because these are the kinds of things you have to sit back and ask yourself, oh, really? Uh, okay, John Kerry uh, was in an interview with a French broadcaster, and he basically admitted in an interview, that Joe Biden had no idea about the fallout of the French dealing with the Australian uh, United States uh, uh, sub-deal. And I thought it was, that was kind of an interesting comment, the way he said it. It's like, oh, he had no clue what was going on. Uh, and I guess the question I'm going to throw back to you is, does this um, bring warm and fuzzy feelings when you have literally one of his advisors saying, uh, he had no clue what's happening uh, on this. Your thoughts? You talking to me? Yes, I'm talking to you, Doctor Larry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, are you asking? <clears throat> excuse me. Are you asking if I'm surprised that um, Joe Biden doesn't know anything about uh, what's going, what the uh, 
the uh, scientific well, actually, facts actually, are. Uh, I, 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 if that's the question, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> In fact, I'd well, be surprised if he question, does know anything. Yeah, but the, here's the question. The, the, that, but here's the other aspect: is it, it just seems to me the way John Kerry put it, it's kind of like that's what in some way surprised me. Oh yeah, yeah, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know how much transpired. I mean, you essentially got a, a government official basically saying this on on his own team. That's you know, what caught me. Yeah, that's you know, what kind of caught me with that. And, and maybe here's well, the other aspect to come. Yeah, go ahead. Well, um, Dr. Fauci kind of lives in his own world. Um I'm not talking about, I'm talking about I'm talking about Joe Biden. I mean I, you know, basically having John Kerry say he had no clue what was happening with this deal. You know, to have a one of his close advisors essentially say that to the French on a French network. It just kinda of struck me as strange. Well, that it doesn't surprise me that that if that's the tr- that, that, that that that's the fact. It, uh, I don't think I don't think that um, I don't think that Tony is really thinking about much other than his own concerns. Uh, particularly these days, he's he's been he's essentially been been found out that he's really been involved in this whole thing right from the beginning, in fact, before the beginning. Yeah. And uh, I think that's kind of his preoccupation. He's not too, he's not thinking too much about, uh, you know, what's good for Biden and what's good politically. And in fact, he never did it. He had, he's always been kind of tone deaf when it comes to uh, politics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, certainly Tony Fauci has been there. Okay. Here's a question. I'm a, and, uh, you know, here's an interesting, the other aspect I wanted to kind of bring up here, and I'm going to basically, uh, uh, and I'm going to bring in uh, Kate on this as well. So, Kate, uh, be prepared. I'm going to start. But here's what, uh, another news item that struck me. Uh, and uh, let me, yeah, uh, kind of a news item here that kind of struck me. And it was basically a poll done. This was on the Quinnicky poll that's just been released. And 69% of Hispanics disapproved of Biden's handling of the immigration, but only 23% uh, but, you know, approving. But here's the kicker. As for the handling of deportation of illegal immigrants, Forty-one percent of Hispanic respondents stated it's not aggressive enough, versus twenty percent said it was appropriate. Although it was almost by a two-to-one margin, they're basically yeah, saying, in effect, you know, that they're not approved. And again, this is you know, on the Hispanic side. I want to get your thoughts on that, and then get, the, and then I'm going to bring in Kate. So, so when you read. When you re- hear this stuff, you know what's the what comes to your mind? Well, I'm, I'm certainly not su- not surprised. I think I think the uh, Hispanic uh, community is pretty much just like any other American. 
I don't see any uh, significant difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay, Kate, your thoughts on that? Because that's yes, – let me put this I thing. Those agree. numbers surprise you. Yeah. Do those numbers surprise you? Because those, you know, those are some very interesting numbers that you always say. So do those numbers surprise you? That is that high opposed to what's going on by the Hispanic community. Right. I, I don't find anything surprising about those numbers because those numbers are reflective of a number of relationships to policy. You know, it's relationship to policy. And Latinos often trend conservative in many social issues, so that, that is one reason they come out conservative many times. In fact, many Democrat strategies have to revise themselves to that. Okay. All right. Um, again, the, and, and so and, now real quick here, Dr. Larry, I'm going to have you talk very briefly on the upcoming show because we got go with Carol Lieberman. So tell us very briefly about her and why people should stay on the air to listen to her. Well, listen, she is uh, known as the terrorist therapist. <laughs> She's a, a board-certified uh, psychiatrist. But she has uh, taken on the role of somebody who's really um, trying to uh, develop a uh, vocabulary and a manner uh, that is uh, conducive to uh, people, both ordinary people and particularly children, understanding uh, what terrorism is without getting scared to death. And um, and that's her that's her uh, her forte at the moment. Uh, she's uh, the author of uh, two award-winning books: uh, "Coping with Terrorism: Dreams Interrupted," and uh, the other one is uh, "Lions and Tigers and Terrorists." Oh my! How to protect your child in time of terror. Um, She's a she's a very interesting person. She's also pretty active uh, politically, which kind of surprised me. Uh, but uh, we had another physician on uh, uh, last week that was uh, also the uh, chairman of the uh, county board of uh, education. So we're finding that these uh, physicians are starting to get around a little bit. Okay, I want to stop you right there, but. Uh... Uh, and Kate, I want to thank you for being on the show. I appreciate you coming on uh, and talking about all of this. Thank you very much. But I do have one quick, like one quick question. You mentioned you got some films, so do you want to tell people a about some of your films? And is there any place where they can actually take a look at? Kate. Okay. Hello. Right. Oh. Here we go. Light action film. Oh, it yeah. is a light action film in India, and I made a film called Hearts on Fire. And it is just being well received in so many different places. We've won seven awards, including including in some traditionally hard to hard to hard to relate to countries like Iran and um, we have Cambodia just asked for us. So um, that, that's 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 really interesting to to be interact like I, to be interacting with so many wonderful people. I went to school with a lot of 
people from Asia. I was part of my Bollywood dance club. That was my master's degree. So I, I tend to have a innate sense of being able to get uh, you know, to get along with people who are who are of Asian descent. So you know we're doing we're, we're doing fantastically. We're really just high about it and ready for our second film. So we're excited and. Uh, I think what? that I think that it's actually available to watch on most networks. I know that um, it's still available from our last fest, so I can get you the streaming information later if you like. I should have had it with me. Thank you so much, Tom, for having well, me on today, and thank you, you. thank you, Dr. Larry. Your your anti-terrorist therapist sounds amazing, and I can't wait to hear more from her. Yeah, she is. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, thank you very much, sir, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We want to thank Kate Morgan for coming on and staying as long as she was able to stay. Uh, we're about ready to get ourselves going here. This is Tom Donaldson saying good night for the Donaldson Files.
comes aboard, uh, we'll be asking her about those kinds of questions. And um, yeah, I say we're at this point. She's yeah, we're still waiting. So uh, until she gets, we'll get her on as quickly as possible. But at this point, we're you know still waiting for her to call in. Uh, in the meantime, well, it'll be just you and me now. Okay, she's on the West Coast, and I suspect that there may be a a little uh, confusion with uh, with the uh, timing, the, the time zones. I know I've had that problem when I have West Coast uh, interviews myself. So. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so um, you've been um, you've been talking uh, in in uh, the uh, Donaldson file about. Uh, uh, from what I heard, it had to do with uh, with Hispanic. Um, uh, what, well, let, let, why don't you explain what happened or what you were well, talking here's about? I mean, like I say, yeah, you say, Kate. You know, I, I, you know, I follow Kate and Trevor for a long time, and she had been on our show a long, long time ago, uh, years ago, and so we just basically. Uh, and she's lived in Texas for a while. So we started really basically on voter outreach. We did the redistricting fight in Texas. And the thing is, she's kind of a unique individual because she kind of parties around with both political parties. She's kind of, you know, she's gone from one party to the other. Uh, she's more of an individual person as opposed to just a political party person. So we got talking about that. But then we got talking about the history. And one of the points she made, he said, look, you know, we got talking about Hispanics, you know, registering Hispanic voters. And one of the points that she made was how important it was uh, for, you know, for politicians, you know, how important it was for, uh, you know, Republicans to register Hispanic voters because many of them are fairly conservative. So she kind of talked about that. And we got into that kind of conversation of the differential between, you know, Hispanics and how they you know, interact with each other and basically even the different generation because in Texas you literally have different generation. I mean, you literally have Hispanics who've been in Texas even before Texas became part of the United States, or as like I say. And so these were some of the points we brought up. And the other aspect came to play, some of the issues coming up with uh, 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 some of the issues that we got uh, coming up with uh, of just the differential, the new influx, and how this is all coming into play. And, and actually, I just think, you know, I'm looking at these polls, you know, you know looking at these polls, and, and you're literally seeing, you know, they say we were always told, you know, never talk about, you know, stopping immigration or, you know, immigration issues because Hispanics, you know, you know, don't support restricting illegal immigration. And what we're saying, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, they do, uh, especially in these border areas. So, yeah, I, and that's what the conversation got to be about. Uh, well, there's been a lot uh, lot happening in Washington um, in the last uh, week or so. Um, your uh, point about... Uh, our friend uh, Tony Fauci has uh, definitely been uh, the target of of a, a number of uh, our colleagues on the on the right uh, because he's been kind of uh, unmasked as uh, 
now uh, a lot of the information that I've been uh, talking about on this program have actually uh, now been officially discovered by the uh, yeah. by the public, and uh, we find out that he uh, was actually involved all the way along in this uh, this uh, Wuhan thing. So uh, well, I mean, absolutely. no, I tell you. It'd be fascinating because we got Carol Lieberman on the line, and I know she's the terrorist specialist, but I would love, you know, as we get into the conversation, to get her take on some of what I call the pointing fear, the pointing point fear of COVID. You know, have we scared ourselves to death about COVID in a similar way about terrorism? And uh, but Dr. Larry, I'm going to let you introduce Carol Lieberman because she's on the line with us. Go ahead. Oh, my goodness. Uh Dr. Carol Lieberman, welcome to the the uh, Resistance Hour. <laughs> we've, uh, we've been talking about you for the last ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, we're very happy to uh, to have you, and particularly uh, uh, because you come uh, just before uh, before a break. So we've got a couple <laughs> of minutes here. <laughs> would you uh, um, would you um, we're we're very interested in 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 this whole um issue of, of of why well first of all what you are doing in as a therapist for in the terrorist area and then uh and of course then why you're doing it and all that sort of thing but um could you could you just sort of give us a a very brief um uh, description of of the kind of work that you're uh, that you're doing is this a, is this a sort of a hobby or is this a, your main interest or what no it's not a hobby <laughs> um i've been spending countless hours since 911 uh i'm a born and bred new yorker and when 911 happened um i asked myself what i could do as a psychiatrist and as an author and as someone who is an expert uh, commentator on television and radio and so on, um, what could I do to help people cope with terrorism? Um, not only the memories of 9-11, but the ongoing threat of terrorism. And so I've written two books on terrorism. My latest one is Lions and Tigers and Terrorists. Oh, my, how to protect your child in a time of terror. And um, I... What I did for, I, I did something special for uh, the 20th anniversary. Uh, I made a music video, not the kind you dance to, but a music video about 9-11, about why we, um, why we must never forget. Really, it's not just a bumper sticker. We really, uh, each year, the, the uh, commemoration of 9-11 has gotten less and less. And then I also talked in the video about... Um, um, you know, how well, one of the reasons why we should never forget is because those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. And I had that over uh, pictures of the Taliban and so on. Um, I mean, you know, we Americans want to forget 9 11. Um, you know, it was very painful. It's normal to want to forget a painful experience in your life. But unlike, um, you know, wanting to forget when the bully came after you in grade school. Uh, which is just your personal story, forgetting about what happened on 9/11 and forgetting about the ongoing threat of terrorism. They have not, they have not stopped planning to take over the West. Um, that is dangerous for all of for Americans to forget about the fact that this danger is lurking out there, 
because um, they we are not preparing ourselves. We're not building our, our resilience, and certainly in lots of other ways, we're we're more in danger now than we were before 9/11. Well, hold that thought. Uh, you're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Let's go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. And also, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget that this segment is brought to you by... Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. You're listening to the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom Donaldson on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and our guest tonight is Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, Dr. Carol, would you um, would you answer your own question uh, for us? Uh, how do you how how should we think about uh, the uh, dangers and traumas of uh, terrorism? Sure. Let me just. Um, let me just finish. I tried giving you a really brief version because I knew you had to go to break. But um, I just wanted to add that I have an ongoing podcast, The Terrorist Therapist Show. I've been doing that for years. And each week I take uh, the hottest topic in terror, and which is how I know, you know, uh, I'm, in, I'm always um, on top of what, trying to be on top of what the terrorists are doing. And they have been using this COVID time, for example, um, as a really great time to do recruiting because more people are on the Internet than there were before we were locked down. But I, and I started to say about uh, the 20th anniversary, so I made this video and with various, you know, different aspects in it, why we should, why we should always remember 10 things kids can, you can do to help kids build, build resilience and a, and a whole bunch of other things. And I put that on a mobile billboard which I had going around Ground Zero on September 10th and September 11th. And um, I kept checking in with the driver, and he was telling me about all the people that were, you know, watching it. And what really touched my heart was that um, apparently there were lots of first responders who were not only watching it but taking pictures in front of it. 
And that, of course, was one of my, you know, one of the reasons why we should never forget, of course, is because of the sacrifice of first responders and also people in the military. Boy, that was a novel idea. <laughs> I, yes, you know, go big or go home. <laughs> right? Well, you know, I mean, it's been 20 years in the making that I, that I each, each anniversary, when I see fewer names being read, you know, they use COVID as the excuse for why they were letting only um, a fewer amount um, of people to families to read the names of their loved ones who died on 9-11 and so on. And, you know, so, so each year when it got to be less and less, it was just really, uh, you know, really bothering me. So, so why do people have to remember and why do people have to be aware that there are terrorists out there still trying to kill us? Because, um, because, we do need to use this time to build physical and psychological resilience, meaning to do, you know, a lot of the basic things, things that, you know, things that we should have been doing uh, during COVID, you know, uh, to keep ourselves healthy and so on. And mainly to break through our denial. I mean, that is the biggest problem. Um, first people have to acknowledge that yes, indeed, they, they are still out there, you know, uh, and in fact, of course, it's worse with what happened in Afghanistan and so on. Um, not only is that a hotbed of terrorism now, but um, but they have all the weapons and they have all the uh, the intelligence that was in the embassy and all of that. And because primarily because they see that Biden <laughs> um, has lost his marbles. And you know, I was just reading your your um, your website and where you're saying with your article where you were saying about um, how some people on in the media have been these TV-based, off-the-cuff amateur proclamations of Joseph Biden's condition uh, are spurious, et cetera. Well, I was one of those people, <laughs> but <laughs> I'd, like to think, I'd like to think that mine weren't spurious because, you know, I work um, as a forensic psychiatrist, and as a lot of – I've had a number of cases where – I have to determine competency, you know, like for wills and so on. So I have a lot of experience uh, doing that. And I put, in, granted, I have not examined President Biden, um, you know, one-on-one. It's just what I've seen of him in the media and, and what I read of him, you know, the, his behaviors, what he's done. Um, and, you know, for, for example, in Afghanistan, well, so I, I called it encroaching dementia, and I was starting to warn people about this before the election. And yes, that could have been said. It could have been said that that was political, you know, that I was trying to get people to vote for Trump, which I was. But that is not why I was saying it. I was trying to warn people that you know you're going to vote in if you vote in someone with encroaching dementia, uh, it's going to be a problem. And he has a whole history of, of physical problems. I mean, it's not. It's not really out of the blue that he would have this. Um, so uh, with Afghanistan, for example, he can no longer do uh, abstract reasoning. In other words, the kind of reasoning that you need to play chess, where you not only would see the advantages of your move, but you would then um, have a good idea what your opponent was going to do and then what you would do next and so on. He couldn't see that. He can't that far ahead. He couldn't uh, and can't visualize the whole picture 
of what's going on, whether it's the immigration or Afghanistan or anything else that he's doing to mess up this country. But how do you know that? Because people with the kinds of problems that he has, mental problems or, or cognitive problems that he has, uh, memory problems, um, you know, there are symptoms of, of dementia, uh, you know, getting easily irritable, um, not only memory problems where you forget certain things, but then where you have no clue that you're forgetting certain things um, and you're just going on and hoping that people don't notice. Um, he has a number of these symptoms. And so when you have in with dementia or encroaching dementia, one of the biggest problems is not being able to do abstract thinking. Well, yeah, 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 because I go ahead, Tom. Yeah, yeah, because, I, I, again, like I said, I hate it because I know people, I hate it when people die. I mean, the thing is, because we saw this during, like, the Goldwater years when you had psychiatrists out of the woodwork right. saying, you know, the guy's nuts. And we saw the same thing with the you know, Trump where you had people making, psychiatrists making you yes. know, statements. Well, and, one in particular, and, right? Yeah. Yes. But here's the, you know, there are two questions. I'm going to throw back, and I want you to kind of comment, and then I want you to kind of maybe, you know, go back to it. But, okay, you look at somebody like, you know, I've always thought to myself, why was one of the biggest political hacks I've ever known, a man of mediocrity, or as a former Secretary of Defense once said, the guy's been on the wrong issue and every on the wrong side almost every issue for the past four decades. And, right. and there was a part of me that said, what we're seeing, because one of the problems you run into, even when you're the VP or you're a senator, we don't see you every day like you see the president. It's not like yeah. you're their everyday president. But now you're yes. president, and we see you every day. And there's this part of me that says, you know, Carol and others are right. You know, there's something there that's obviously not there. And you certainly can compare him to, you know, you know, going back, you know, just a few years ago, the way he behaved or the way he talked. But then there's this aspect of me said, you know, maybe the guy was always this stupid to begin with. <laughs> 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 There's something well, to that. There is some of that. There is some of that. Um, you know, he, yes, he's had bad. Uh, I mean, I know that they, people are saying or have said that uh, that his opinions about, uh, especially global affairs and so on, were were wrong all the time. Um, so that doesn't. When you when you have that already, it doesn't help <laughs> to then get encroaching dementia. Well, well I, it's, my, it's always, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Larry. Sorry. My 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 position is, I don't know, and I really don't care uh, regarding his mental uh, condition. It's uh, it's his actions that I'm I'm really 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 worried about, and uh, in fact, you're you know you I, you're probably right, but. Um, we don't even need to say that. We just have to look at what he's doing, and he's destroying the United States of America. And uh, that is what it seems to me to be uh, the, uh, the the ultimate interest or the ultimate uh, conclusion of of uh, what what's wrong with the Biden administration. It's not just him. He's got a whole bunch of people around there. They're all kind of crazy. 
Well, yeah, you know, I must say, though, one thing that does um, boggle my mind is, um, well, and, and, you know, there was also uh, a former White House doctor who was saying this as well and calling for the 25th Amendment or calling on him to resign. He's never going to voluntarily resign. But, um, I mean, so I don't understand why the people in Congress who, who see this, you know, even more closely – um, why they are not calling in the 25th Amendment or or an impeachment or something to get him out of there? You really you really don't understand that, or are you just kidding? <laughs> well, why don't you explain to me what you want to say? Because he is simply the figurehead for an entire movement, and, the, well, and yes. right right now they they take. You know they're taking over the federal government, well, and um, if they had to yeah. get rid of him, they would be entirely discredited. And and of course, I think they're going to be anyway. But but uh, that would be the end of their of their uh, surge for power. Well, yes, but why aren't there, why aren't the Republicans in Congress calling for this? Because they'd lose. I'm going to say, I mean, there's always this aspect to me from a political point of view is, there's, uh, is that it's one thing you know, it's to say, well, you know, the guy's nuts. <laughs> uh, you know, saying that politically and saying, uh, you know, do something about it. Uh, I, it sounds kind of, let's just put it this way. I'm not sure how the, you know, I, I don't know the answer to the question, what you're saying other than to say, I think, you know, you know, Larry's kind of put a point from a political point of view is, you know, how do you handle something like this in a sensitive way of saying in the fact, you know, this guy's lost his marbles, get rid of him, uh, especially when you're the opposition party. But you're right. I think in the end it has to come from within the party, and I don't see that happening. Uh, and, and, and what aspect that comes into play here, it looks like we're on a, you know, we'll you know, I'll throw this out and then we can discuss this after the next break, mm. but yeah. Have you ever we're, noticed we're, how badly? Yeah, you know, maybe we're look at Kamala Harris. A, I mean, yeah. we're going to have to take a break, folks. We're going to have to take a break. We're going to have to take a quick break. You're listening to sure. the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism one in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Napa Know How. 
Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And, Tom, you were uh, talking uh, yeah. and we interrupted you. Yeah. But, uh, I'm going to throw this out to you, uh, Carol, is another ask. Uh, there's a historical bank basis because here's the thing. I mean, I look at Campbell and Harrison. There are times in which, you know, should we, you know, put her face on a milk cart because she's been missing in action. <laughs> but – but historically speaking, if you look at the Wilson administration, you had a severely incapacitated president who essentially had close advisors and his wife running the government. It got to a point where even the vice president was never fully informed how bad or incapacitated the president was. And I'm looking at a situation here where you have you know, Ron Klein, you have Jill Biden. You have others close by. And I, you know, there's this aspect of me saying, you know, they pretty much have isolated Kamala Harris yeah. from the powers to be. I mean, she's, like I say, missing in action. And in this aspect of the danger, and I guess my question would be to you as somebody who's from a psychiatrist's point of view, maybe, you know, is there a power – is there something there in a power side equation where, let's say, you have the wife with the close advisors basically protecting this guy, and 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 how and what would the role of the caretakers be in this case? Are they doing it to protect their own power, you know, to protect their own interests? Because I know you've done a lot of other cases out there based on your resume, and and does this bother you the fact that we have this guy essentially isolated? And that the person second in charge is nowhere to be found. Well, it's very strange that uh, Kamala Harris um, is disappearing. I mean, there's, you know, it's it's getting more and more noticeable. And she, I mean, she comes with her own baggage. She is certainly not going to would not be better than Biden because, um, I mean, she's more presumably she doesn't have encroaching dementia, but. She has uh, some thinking that is really very dangerous. Um, you know, some of the things that she said about Israel and all that just the other day. Um, so I'm not, you know, suggesting that it would be better if we had her. But but what, what I'm really concerned about is that people, you know, who love America and who have half a brain in their head are realizing that, that he is bringing the country down. And yet everybody is, um, including us, I guess, um, everybody is, 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 you know, talking about it, recognizing it, but nobody's doing anything about it. And that's what's incredibly frustrating. But the, but the options of, of doing something about it are pretty pretty narrow. I mean, Well, but we can't keep just standing on the sidelines and watching this country go down the tube. Well, that's what elections are for. Yeah. Or I can say elections have consequences. 
Uh, okay, let's go back to the terror side of the equation because this is something you've been involved in, on, you know, protecting children and how to educate people dealing with terrorism. Uh, what were some of the – you mentioned an interesting aspect of we have moved away from 9-11, you know, celebrating it, looking at it, trying to forget about it. And is this part of that aspect of dealing with terrorism we pretend it doesn't exist? And this is one way we do yes. it. Yes. Um, there's cognitive dissonance. On the one level, the um, intellectual level, we are aware that when there are news stories and so on about terrorism or 9-11 or, you know, things like that, we hear it. Um, it, goes in, it goes in one ear, but then um, our mind pushes it down into our unconscious, pushes it away um, so that we aren't thinking about it all the time or aren't, don't have an awareness of it. Not that, not that I'm suggesting we should be thinking every minute about, oh, my God, you know, there are terrorists out there who want to get us. But, um, but we do have to have a more uh, realistic view of what is going on because otherwise we won't do things to protect us or we won't elect people who are going to be doing things to protect us. You know, Obama was I think was the worst president that I've ever known in any case in my lifetime. Um, and one of the things that he was really bad about was terrorism. He, you know, he, his attitude towards terrorists, um, he was really sympathetic. And um, he did not keep us safe. And, um, and you know, I, I do think in terms of, like, who, who are the puppets behind Biden, I think, I think Obama is definitely one of them. Um, it's not the one. And so it is very worrisome, and especially when we saw what Biden did just now, whether you want to call it that he can't, doesn't have abstract reasoning or that he has an agenda to uh, make us more vulnerable to terrorism. Um, you know, we really have to look out for That has to be a big factor when we're electing people. It has to be a big factor as to what their, what their awareness is of terrorism and what their plans are. Well, I amen to that. I certainly I certainly agree to that. But, you know, we're all unfortunately uh the human uh animal is tends to be uh have a pretty short attention span, especially for bad bad things. Don't you think? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, it's normal for things, not even things related to politics or all that, just just in life in general, because it's the way that the mind protects itself. I mean, you know, for example, if you think about a, a child, um, you know, in, where there are things that they, that experiences that they had were, that were traumatic or sad, a parent's divorce or a parent died or, you know, um, I don't know, things in school that uh, that were disappointing, whatever it is. Um, you know, um, it's, it's a normal reaction. It's the way that the mind um, protects itself by pushing these things into the unconscious so that we don't have to be thinking about it all the time. But But it's very different when it's something that is so, such a threat like terrorism. I mean, where we all do have to pay more attention to it. Well, we sure do, but uh, nothing like a 
mass killing or attempt like we had at the high school in Arlington, Texas this morning. Yes, yes. You know, to kind of make us remember that terrorism is not strictly a uh, foreign uh, intervention. It's also uh, part of, become more and more part of our own, our own uh, repertoire around, particularly in, in the cities where they've had these terrible riots and all this violence. Do you think that, do you think there's a, um, I get a little more into social psychology perhaps, but uh, do you think that there's some kind of a, um, uh, a psychological aspect to this uh, renewed violence that we seem to have? Uh, we got, a, of course, part of it is not having police, but, but, yeah. Who, who who would what what do you do you have any thoughts about about anything that's happening in a in a cultural way that's uh, that's uh, beginning to really uh, take its toll on our on our peace and tranquility? Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the uh, online sites that I go to every day is uh, the New York Post, because as I said, I'm a New Yorker born and bred. Um, but you're, and, but you're mean, in Los Angeles, right? I was just going to say, and even though, I mean, and I was even in already, I had already moved to California by the time 9-11 happened, but my heart was and is still in New York. So, you know, that's why it bothered me so much. Um, but so I, I look at the New York Post every day, and, you know, the um, the pictures... <laughs> of the violence on the streets in New York. It was never like that, where people are just, uh, are just, they don't feel any, there's no fear. I mean, I mean, a lot because there are no policemen, there are not enough policemen, you know, with this defund the police. But it's like um, they're in the middle of the street. In fact, the latest one, I think it was today, was where there was a gang fight or a, a fight, you know, amongst people in the middle of the street in New York uh, with guns, you know, a bunch of people shooting guns at each other. I mean, it looked like a Wild West movie. And um, and there's, so there's no fear of, of getting caught because then when they get caught, of course, then they're let out, you know, without bail or they get very little punishment. Um, and I think part of, I think really, I, I, I know this isn't politically correct, but I think um, part of it came from uh, George Floyd and the Black Lives Movement uh, so-called protests, which were, um, you know, some many of them turned into violent free-for-alls, and um, that kind of get, was a signal to the to everybody. You can you can do what you want. I mean, of course, now we have even um, even though there aren't no protests anymore for the moment, but people are going into stores and just um, coming in and taking out, uh, you know, t- whatever they want. Um, but and then of course COVID also has is, has contributed to this, the lockdowns and the fear that people are having about their mortality, about about dying and about um, you know um, feeling like like uh, they might as well do what they want now because they're probably not going to live long, which is a, a symptom of PTSD, uh, you ha- where you feel you have a foreshortened lifespan. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's a lot of anger. In fact, anger being taken out on nurses, 
and taken out on uh, air, airline stewardesses or um, air, air flight attendants um, and teachers. And, uh, you know, I mean, but there, it's, the world is, is exploding. The world is exploding. And, and it's, to go back to Texas, what you were saying with the school shooting, we're going to be having, if school is in session uh, in person um, this year, we're going to be having more school shootings than ever. And you want to know why? <laughs> yep. Um, because during this this lockdown, um, kids have had we've all had more time on our hands to some degree, one degree or another, um, and a lot of kids have been spending these hours, these extra hours, watch playing violent video games. And there is certainly enough research that shows that um, the more hours of violent media you consume, the more aggressive you become. Not everybody becomes a serial killer, but you might fight over a parking spot or road rage or air rage or all of these kinds of things. So I was not surprised that um, to see, you know, another school shooting. because And I think schools need to get ready for this, need to have more security, need to have more counselors, this is going to be a major problem. Well, hold that thought. You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bastard News Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. You're listening yeah, to the resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've got one more break here, but before we do, let's, not, let's remind everybody you can listen to this show every day on the bastionnews.airtime.pro at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, or at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the bastardnews.airtime.pro. Okay, Larry, take it away. <laughs> well, we're, uh, I was just uh, about to, uh, I, I was about to introduce this or at least follow up on this uh, observation of anger it seems like there's just an awful lot more anger around than there has been before and yeah. i and you, you i i think you're uh suggesting that uh there's a connection between that and this uh, lockdown that we had and i think you're right yes it's a combination of um you know being fear of fear about covid which turns into anger you know, anger at the fact that we, uh, at our own mortality, really. And then um, the lockdown keeping us from other people, making us less compassionate 
you know, less um, interacting less with other people and, and feeling more apart from them, which is another potential symptom of uh, PTSD. Um, and then, you know, people ain't being angry that our world is changing in so many ways as far because of COVID, as far as, uh, you know, the economy and, and um, uh, you know, different things that uh, – and the vaccines and the whole, you know, controversy and all of that. So – and we don't, don't want our life – didn't want, don't want our life to change. And so there's anger about that. Um, yes, you know, we've been sort of – boiling, <laughs> boiling on, uh, you know, what, why is it, it's kind of like, well, why isn't anybody or why hasn't anybody done more to prevent COVID from killing all these people? Well, there's also the feeling of imprisonment, you know, people feel like they, yes. they, uh, they've been uh, immorally uh, restrained from normal uh, human intercourse and and it's kind of a floating uh, anger that's just kind of flipping around in the air, so to speak. It's, yes, uh, really all the mandates, being told what to do by all these uh, power-hungry people. Yeah, and and and, and really illegally in, in many cases. Yes. But there isn't any law, laws being uh, widely disrespected and. In, in America today, and that is perhaps the worst, the worst thing that could happen to us. I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, when the thing that really holds us all together is the pursuit of happiness, it seems to me, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. critical to that pursuit is is uh, law and order. And yeah. when you have that, when you have the structure of the society, uh, which is really uh, uh, defended and enforced by law enforcement uh, and and the courts and the whole the whole uh, law uh, uh, apparatus, when that's being attacked and defeated, then the whole the whole thing starts to crumble and. Uh, and I think that that's that's really part getting to be part of this of this period in our, in our history. And and if we don't stop it, if we don't re reestablish the rule of law, that uh, that this that this that this society really could uh, just sort of fall into uh, totalitarian uh, socialist uh, type of operation. And, and we certainly have a uh, half of the uh, the political uh, impetus in the entire country is rapidly pushing us in that direction. Yes, absolutely, and not by coincidence. <laughs> that goes back to Biden and his puppeteers, as I call them. Yeah, exactly, and and he may be one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean the other the other big big danger right now, and you talk about terrorists, but there's another big, really huge danger that's that's uh, beginning to materialize, as many people, uh, including us, uh, predicted, and that is that uh, China is getting more and more aggressive in uh, trying to to uh, uh, 
uh, assert their uh, uh, authority over Taiwan, and and uh, they are apparently, uh, uh, probably correctly, uh, beginning to feel that uh, that uh, the Americans are weak and that they're done. That their that our domination of the world stage has ended, and uh, they are just likely to uh, to invade Taiwan any day, and if they did, and what are that could be the beginning of the of the, of the Third World War. Yeah. And that yes. is here. I mean, there was what 100 Thomas 110 ships or something that that I mean uh, airplanes that have invaded their uh, their not their not their airspace but the uh, defense perimeter. And that's uh, that's just yesterday. It's, uh, it's and now now the next step is that they're starting to to take the ships into uh, into closer to Taiwan, and it's very clear that they don't think we're going to do anything about it. Mhm, mhm. I mean, they saw what happened. We surrendered in Afghanistan, so yes, um, they see us as weak. And uh, and don't expect any <laughs> enough of a of a pushback from us. And then if we if we do intervene, if, if for number one, it could be too late because they could, they could take over in 24 hours with a uh, invasion. They could they could basically take over Taiwan, and of course Taiwan would be fighting, and they would. We have been committed to them since World War II. There would be a lot of people here that would be expecting them, us to get into it, and that mm-hmm. could just tip tip off everything. Mhm, mhm. So, how do we make people feel better about that, uh, Doctor? <laughs> <laughs> well. Um... People need to get to be more vocal. And, you know, like I was saying before, that nobody's doing anything about it, including us. But I guess I take that back because we are doing something about it. We're making it clearer, helping to to let people know what's really going on. But now, um, you know, now there needs to be some some action. Um, I mean, I think, I think things aren't going to change unless, you know, good thing there's a, another election coming up. Um, in 2022, but but uh, you know, that, who can trust these days that any election is going to be um, honest? Yep. Exactly. I would, yeah, yeah. I would, you know, Carol, I'm going to kind of ask this question of you because I know you, we mentioned the coronavirus and the fear, and I know that you know. You know, we got the uh, okay. The late uh, climate change. We're all going to die and and, uh, and all fried to death. But here's the question: I'm going to throw back, especially as a psychiatrist, especially among the younger. Do you ever see this? Are you seeing more and more like the same? Not that's just the mental health side, but this resignation. You know that. You know what's you know is this thing really worth it? Because we're all going to die in a short period of time anyway. You know, is that negativity? Are you seeing a lot of that negativity, in particular among young people? And if so, what do you think the impact will be down the road? Yes, there is that. Um, 
you know, these years have been a time when people, um, I mean, it's been so hard for, like, people in college, for example. Um, they're supposed to be... <laughs> They're supposed to be planning for a whole life or for a career and what they want to do. And I think there is this general, not only because of PTSD from COVID and from, uh, you know, various things in the world, but um, but just a kind of depression, a kind of um, feeling that um, <laughs> sort of a lethargy, you know, a feeling like uh, – what's the use like what you were just saying and that and particularly when people the younger people are and and of course a big part of this has to do with what's going on in the schools um starting in uh kindergarten you know the craziness that's being taught in the schools that is finally coming to light you know we really all should have been uh realizing what's been going on sooner but but you know where the kids are being taught um, Nihilism. A, a, the wrong, yes, and and the wrong, you know, to hate America and to topple statues and, um, you know, to how to masturbate, like like you have to teach a person how how to masturbate. Um, kids in elementary school are being taught that and taught all kinds of things about uh, tr- trying to just confuse kids about sex and to um, destroy the American or the, not just American, but to destroy the um, nuclear family, and all of these things are, are were already destroyed. So when people get into college, and, and now with COVID and all that, I mean, it is just too much. You know, I don't, I didn't even realize just how bad it was in terms of what kids were being taught and how, how what the propaganda that kids were being taught at such young ages, including at such young ages, um, until... Until uh, Black Lives Matter, the riots, and there was this article about how a an architecture teacher from one of the colleges was teaching his kids, his students, how to topple statues. Like, what is the easiest way to t- topple a statue? And I had to read that three times. Like, what? A college professor is teaching students how to topple statues? I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it started, it has started a long time ago or, you know, too long ago um, where there is this, this, it's, it's seeded in our, in our schools and it's already warped the minds of a, of a lot of kids and where they don't love their country that, you know, one of the big things not having to, not saying the uh, Pledge of Allegiance in school or, you know, singing uh, patriotic songs. Um, I mean, I remember when I was in school, every morning the first thing would be the, the Pledge of Allegiance and singing some patriotic song. And uh, it really made you feel like you were united with your classmates and that you were proud to be an American and that you were so lucky to be in this country and all of that. And when that was done away with in so many schools, that was sort of the beginning of the end. Well, is the end here? <laughs> oh, I don't want to believe that, but we we have to. We we're like behind, you know. We have to. There's a lot more that we have to do. Um, 
you know, it's an article just the other day about how the FBI is now going to arrest parents who, yeah, um, yeah who protest against the teachers and the school board. I mean, everything is backwards. Well, I've got I've got one thought that I'm going to share because uh, in the midst of all this uh, uh, trauma, uh, I've been reading a lot about the uh, the Civil War, and I tell you what, no matter what we're going through now, we are going through nothing like that. That was that was that that was an amazing. Uh, story of, survi- of the survival of the United States, ultimately, even in spite of the fact that a whole generation of young men got killed and and uh, a whole section of the country really uh, got in, was uh, in terrible uh, straits for, uh, for actually 100 years. And uh, if we could come out of that as a country and and uh, prosper as much as we did and have then there's still hope there's still hope and we can uh we can probably survive this but boy we can't do it with our eyes closed and our mouths closed yes i mean i want to believe of course that there's hope too but um everybody needs to to do something you know to take some kind of action um, joining some kind of group uh, who, you know, something that you feel strongly about, joining some kind of group that's working on that. Um, but we can't just kind of be sheep. You know, there's such a civil war already, for example, between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And between, I mean, it, there are just so many divisions. Um, we have to come together and we have to, we have to speak out about things that we think see are wrong. Well, if we if we could get if we could get the the, the group uh, on our side to do that, I think we would find that there are a lot more of us than any of us think. Yes. And even even though we're not uh, well represented represented in the elite elite of the country. Um, who are controlling uh, not only our politics but also uh, our uh, communications and our uh, yes. television, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still there's more of us than there are of them, and and I agree we've got to start we've got to start acting like that. We got to find yes. each other. We're glad yes. we found you tonight. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> But now, I got one quick question here you know, before we go. Uh, you live sure. in the People's Republic of California. And in the what republic? My in question is the People's Republic of California. Oh, yes, right, right. But here's my question, because somebody who's literally in a blue state where literally uh, a governor can essentially be totally as incompetent as the one you've got presently. Mm-hmm. Win a recall by the margin he did. How, do you ever get yourself depressed? What do you do to get yourself psyched <laughs> to say the war, the battle here in California is not yet over? How do you get yourself through that? Well, there is a group. I mean, um, yes, there was the attempt at the recall, and unfortunately that failed. But um, 
but there is a group, um, you know, who is has been trying to uh, make a new California, you know, who has been working to try to uh, to take it away from um, from the way that things, you know, have been going. Uh, and I, I, so I have hope that maybe they're going to work. You know, I was reading something about how um, there's there's oh there was a poll. And um, I think the majority or a large number of people wanted to uh, thought that it could work to have um, to divide the United States into red states and blue states. And I was thinking, yeah, well, I'm stuck in a blue state. <laughs> well, what do people do who are stuck in the wrong state? Um, so, you move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, we're. We're just about out of time, and we want to uh, thank you very much for uh, for uh, coming to visit us, and uh, we hope to see you again. And uh, Tom, uh, you got. Uh, we're just about out of time, so uh, thank uh, thank uh, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and uh, God bless America, because man, we need it. Yes, well, thank you for having me. Okay. Um, man, things are really rough. Oh, it is. Hold on a second.